Uh, where you are, why don't you do two things? One is get your Bibles out. Um, there should be some Bibles in front of you. Um, if not, get it on your phone. Um, Matthew uh, 7, verse 24, page 972 if you're using the church Bibles. So get, that, uh, get your Bible out, get ready uh, for that. And secondly, why don't you turn to somebody next to you and say one thing that, um, that you are grappling with, which is a choice in your life right now, a choice that you're facing. Go. Like it can be a huge thing or it can be a really itty-bitty, tiny thing. It really doesn't matter. Have you had the opportunity? Right, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to give you some categories for your choices, okay? So think about those choices that you've talked about, and I'm going to give you some categories for them, because choices are really important, right? We face them every day. Um, They kind of mark out um, who we are, and they define what we become. Choices show what we really are. That's the wisdom of J.K. Rowling. Um, If you're a Harry Potter fan, you will know, yes, Kirsten's got it. She's there. She's like, yes, that that is a Harry Potter quote. There we go. Choices are important. They mark out who we are. They define what we become. Choices, choices show what we really are. Life is full of choices. And I experience that when I get to talk to people, often in facing some really difficult and dark times. Uh, many facing uh, addictions or facing impossible relationship issues. Sometimes something's happened that's beyond their control that resulted in those situations. But more often than not, it's because of one or two choices good or bad, or maybe indifferent, that have been made that suddenly change the course of their lives. We have choices every day. Whether I turn up to work today, whether I take that drink out of the fridge, whether I choose to revise, whether I switch on that TV channel or click on that that website, whether I choose to forgive whether I choose to spend time with my family, whether I choose to flirt with that person in the office. We have choices all the time. But there are different categories of these choices, and that's what I want to think through first. Firstly, there's the win-win choice. Just think about the choices you were talking about. Are they a win-win choice? That's the best kind of decision, the best kind of choice that we have to face, isn't it? We often don't recognize it at the time because for some of us, any choice drives us to distraction. (laughs) But so many of our decisions, so many of our choices are win-win choices. Which school or university? Which job or career? 
whether to buy this phone or that phone. We may spend hours wondering and deliberating, but in the end, let's face it, it's a win-win choice. Then at the other extreme, there are the lose-lose choices. Choices have to be made and you can't duck them. Even if you find yourself between, well, a rock and a hard place, that's going to be uh, appropriate for later. I have to say, I think our politicians are often making choices in that sphere. Whatever you think of the job that she's done, Theresa May found herself with this choice at the end. Keep going with another Brexit bill, which you know is going to fail because Parliament isn't with you, or resign and give up the fight, the power, the influence in the country that you love. Lose-lose choices are not easy for anyone. But then there are win-lose choices. And I think this is the, t- the kind of choice that Jesus puts before us today. Let's look at this passage. Matthew 7, verse 24, page 972. comes at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. There's been um, a, a great chunk of teaching that Jesus has given his, his friends, his followers, and then the crowds as they've gathered. And then he says this, and it's the end of this big sermon. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundations on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell with a great crash. You've heard that story a hundred times, I'm guessing. I think what Jesus gives us here is a win-lose choice. It's one of those choices that you have to get right. I remember when we were uh, first moved to Oxford and we were looking to buy a house. We found a great place near Botley, which we absolutely loved. It had great space. It was a brilliant location just close to the train station. Um, It was a decent price and we were ready to go for it. And then we had the survey done. Now, how many of you have had a survey done on a house? Just show a a few, few hands. Okay, roughly half of you. Fine. Now, you'll know that normally when you get the survey done, you sort of farm it out and there's very little interaction between you and the surveyor. Normally, you get uh, some kind of written report and that's about the end of it. So imagine our surprise when we got a phone call before we'd seen the report. On the other end of the line, the surveyor says, I don't normally do this. But you're about to receive my written report tomorrow, and you'll read it 
and you'll note some work that I suggest that you get done. But I just want to tell you this. Please do not buy this house. I can't say this in my report, but it would be a tragedy if you bought it. It's been flooded before, the repairs have been nicely done, but I think the walls have moved and the land seems to be moving too. I just don't want you to take it and pour in more and more money to keep it standing. Bless the Lord for that surveyor. Now, the choice to buy that house for us was clearly a win-lose decision and one that we benefited from, from getting it right. But when Jesus talks about win-lose choices, he's not talking about housing. He's talking about lives. He says the choices we make with our lives, the foundations that we base them on, is what really matters. Therefore, verse 24, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. Right at the end of this incredible sermon, which sets a really high bar for the followers of Jesus, he ends with this reminder to ensure that our foundations are right. The greatest decision we'll ever make is the choice we have when we hear the words of Jesus. Are we going to do what he says? One of the big choices we face is what's going to be the foundation of our lives or who is going to be the foundation of our lives. Now, at a later stage in the Hayward history of housing, we, we bought a new build house. Solid foundations this time. But what struck me was the length of time it took to get the foundations in place, which seemed to take forever. And then the relative speed with which the house went up. And that's the thing with our lives, I think, too. Once the foundation is in place... It can be a quick job to put up the walls, chuck on a roof and put the wiring and cabling in. It's remarkably easy to make the house look fine, even if the foundations are shaky. But the place to spend time is on the foundations. So two things I want you to remember from today, which I'm going to touch on. First of all, when you build, build for the storm. Build for the storm. And secondly, take good care of your foundations. You see, the solidity of the house depends on the foundations. Jesus urges us to build for the storm. On good days like this weekend, when the sun shines, a house is a house. But build for the storm. Build in such a way that the building of our lives can handle rocky, stormy days when the rain comes down, the streams rise, and the wind blows. So here's a question for us. As we read this story, one we know well, one we've probably told in Sunday school or to children again and again, what is the storm that Jesus is referring to? Just think for a moment, what's the storm he's talking about? 
I've concluded that at the end of this great sermon, this must be the storm of God's judgment. It might be more than that, but I don't think it can be less than that. There's a day when God will judge, and there is a wise and a foolish way to live in the light of the fact that God will judge. It's there again and again in this sermon. Just flick back a couple of verses. Uh, Chapter 5, verse 21. You've heard that it was said to people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Verse 29. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Chapter 6, verse 1. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Or 7, verse 19. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. You see, Jesus, throughout this sermon, foresees a future. And it's a future where he's judge. The God who made us ultimately will judge us. And at the very least, this storm is the storm of God's judgment. It's the flood of Noah. It's the flood of Moses or or Jonah. But it may be more too. You see, when the storm hits, our foundations are exposed, aren't they? Yes, that's going to be the case at the judgment, but also in our lives as well. You see, in my job, I see a lot of people at the time that life foundations are exposed. A marriage breakup, a funeral of a family member, a fallout in a family, ongoing illness. How on earth do we cope when these storms hit? Does what's at the core of my life, my foundation, give any hope in those storms? This story is not just wisdom to get through life with all its ups and downs. Ultimately, it's about how to get through death as well as life. And the trouble is that when we're, when we're not in the storm, then it's so easy to keep building on shaky foundations and not notice. It's easy to carry on with life and not worry that there are cracks in your ceiling, that the walls are shaky. When the weather's good, we can paper over the cracks and ignore them. But when the storm breaks, as it does for each one of us, our life foundations are exposed. So as Jesus ends this sermon, he says, check your foundations. He's taught and spoken about so many things. About obedience about our devotion and our ambitions, about our relationships. And as he he concludes it all, he says, check your foundations. Look at the life you're building. Check your foundations because this is the biggest choice you're ever going to make. And all your subsequent choices and and decisions will be shaped by this one. Build for the storm. So how should we build? Well, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man.
What are these words of mine? What are the words that we need to put into practice? Well, the answer has to be this sermon, doesn't it? It absolutely does not mean turning over a new leaf or trying harder or finding a new resolution. Throughout this sermon, Jesus' moral teaching is designed to show how high the standard is and and then to expose to us that we failed to reach it. Again, flick back. 5 verse 17. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And then verse 20. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. What about verse 48? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Or 7.12. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. Do you see how high that bar is? Can you do that? I can't. You see, the living God knows us and he knows our ways. And he knows that we fail to keep this law. But simultaneously, as he teaches that high bar, as he calls us to that high bar, he urges us to throw ourselves on God's mercy. You know where this sermon starts, right? It starts with the Beatitudes, doesn't it? Chapter 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn, who mourn over their sin. Blessed are the meek. Blessed. Here's the bar, but blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn over the fact that they can't get there themselves. Blessed are the meek who stoop low. Then at the centre of this sermon, in chapter 6, what happens? Jesus teaches on prayer. And what is his prayer? Our Father in heaven. What does he go on to say? Forgive us our sins. Forgive us. Because we can't reach that bar. And then at the conclusion of the sermon, chapter 7, verse 7, what does he say? Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. Ask, seek, knock, and he will freely give. He'll open up the door to you. Are you building on Christ as the rock Paul referred to one of the Psalms, which is an example of the description that God gives himself. That he is the rock and that Jesus takes up. Have you realized that you can't live up to the requirements of the law? That you need the grace of God? 
And are you living as an authentic disciple of Jesus? Or are you building on sand? Trying to do it your way. Making your choices in the hope that one day it's going to be okay. See, the question is not what your house looks like. Both builders, the wise and the foolish, build a house. Here come the rain. The question is not whether you've got the latest paint or the latest wallpaper or whether you do a good job at your DIY. The question is not whether you earn 10K or 100K. The question is what are you building on? That's an important distinction because most of our faith today rests on what the house looks like. Am I happy? Am I successful? Am I married with 2.4 kids living in a lovely, happy home? Do I have a decent job? Am I living in the right area of town? Does my house look good? That's not the question that Jesus poses. He doesn't seem to care what the house looks like. He cares about our foundations. That's why he warns of false prophets, chapter 7, verse 15, who may sound plausible, who may look the part, but actually they point you away from Jesus in his teaching. That's why he warns us against those who are themselves deceived, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say, Lord, Did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. That's a scary verse, isn't it? I never knew you. What? Don't you know who I am? Just take a look under H for Hayward. Vicar of St. Andrews, come on. Of course you know me. And then the penny drops. And I realize that all my good deeds and attendance at services are worth nothing unless I know the one who suffered and died to give me life. Unless I hear him and do as he says. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. Everyone, not just the preacher, Everyone who hears these words has a choice. And it's a win-lose choice. And it's pretty simple, isn't it? It comes down to whether we know him or not and whether he knows us. Because at the judgment, what matters is not what the house looks like, but what the foundations are on which we're building our lives. So here's a question. How do we know if we know him and are known by him. Well, I think this story is included in every children's Bible that we've got in our house, and we've got a few of them. Wise or foolish builder. Wisdom is not about how many GCSEs or A-levels you might have or hope to have, but it's about how you live in the light of eternity. 
It's about whether you know the one who's the way, the truth, and the life. The wise man hears the words of Jesus, but so does the foolish man. He hears them too. Both the wise and the foolish sit in church and listen to sermons. Both listen to Christian music. Both download podcasts from the latest popular Christian preacher. Their houses, certainly in the good times when the sun is shining, may look very similar. But the difference lies in the foundations. And that's what Jesus seems to care about. Only one builder realizes they can't do it and welcomes Jesus who has done it. Only one has solid foundations. Both might be sitting here this evening, drifting in and out. Both might be taking notes. But one of them walks out and puts these words into practice. The other walks out and nothing changes. So when conflict comes at work, when the stress mounts, when there are arguments at home, then there there is no peace because Jesus has no bearing on what happens. Only one has solid foundations. Both builders get the same rain, the same wind, the same storms, the same pressures of life, the same judgment. Both see times where they both see times where their health, their work, or their family life is tough, where it seems that every decision is lose lose, and God's judgment awaits them both. But when the storm hits, only one continues to thrive. It's all about foundations. I started talking tonight about choices. And at the end of a sermon, when we've, or when we've read some Bible, we have a choice. We can put it to one side, nice sermon, and not think about it again. Or we can hear and obey. We can act on what we've heard. At the end of his sermon, Jesus leaves his listeners in no doubt that a choice has to be made. If you voted on Thursday, you felt that a choice had to be made. I have to tell you, I didn't like the options, but in the end, I had to place my vote. I put a cross against a candidate. I had to make a choice. And it's a choice that will impact other choices. The win-lose choice that Jesus presents is a choice that came at great cost to the one who poses the question, to the one who is love, and it's a costly choice that has implications for us. So as you hear these words of Jesus, are you just going to hear them, or will you put them into practice? What will you make of the greatest win-lose decision that you will ever have to make? What are the foundations that you're building your life on? Jesus says, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, 
and I will give you rest. He says, I come to bring life and life in all its fullness. Build for the storm. Take care of your foundations and trust him. Let's pray. In you, O Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness. Turn your ear to me. Come quickly to my rescue. Be my rock of refuge, a strong fortress to save me. Since you're my rock and my fortress, for the sake of your name, lead and guide me. Free me from the traps that are set for me, for you are my refuge. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Redeem me, O Lord, the God of truth. Lord Jesus, help us to build for the storm and to take care of our foundations. Help us to trust you, and to hear you, and to obey you, so that we might know life in all its fullness for eternity. Amen.